So today I'd like to talk about a rather dark topic. I wish it were happiness that we were talking about. But uh, Jew hatred is something that uh, is now on the minds of many people, but for someone like me who comes from Lebanon, it's something that I grew up with, regrettably, as a child in Lebanon. So the title of my talk is The Eternal Hatred of Jews from Beirut to the West. And so first, I'd like to give you a bit of a, a quick synopsis of what it was like growing up Jewish in Lebanon and what you might expect to happen in the West if, you, if we don't get our acts straight. So this is my childhood in Lebanon. The left photo is what used to be called the, the Paris of the Middle East. And the, one, the other one is exactly how I lived my life the last year of the Lebanese Civil War. As a matter of fact, when the, the need to play is so important that even in a civil war, people wish to play. And so my parents would tell me, if you're going to go outside and play, don't pass this particular line, because then that puts you to the eyesight of the snipers who would blow your brains. And so it becomes a cavalier reality. Death is awaiting you at every corner. Fortunately, we, we escaped Lebanon after the first year of the Civil War. But I want to give you a bit of a, a feel of what it was like growing up in progressive, tolerant Lebanon. Lebanon was a lot more modern than many of the other Middle Eastern countries. So the, the image that you have here is of uh, Gamal Abdel Nasser, who was a pan-Arabist, the president of Egypt. He passed away in 1970. And uh, I was about five years old at the time, almost six. And I remember there was a procession coming by our house where everybody was protesting and screaming, not unlike some of the stuff you're seeing now in the West, and yet everybody was screaming, death to Jews, death to Jews. And as a young boy, it wasn't clear to me why the death, the passing of the president of Egypt would somehow result in triggering a reflex of death to Jews. Now, on the right side, this has become a famous meme. We have a guy here who is intimating those thoughts, except that he's not giving us the courtesy of spelling the word Jews properly. <laughs> if you're going to commit genocide, for the love of God, at least know how to spell it. So it's now <laughs> death to all juice, and so I often refer to the evil juice. Oops, I skipped the page. Uh, my brother was Lebanese champion for several years in judo. He wasn't ever allowed to compete. This is actually literal, archi literal archival uh, newspaper clippings. He wasn't allowed to compete uh, for Lebanon in international tournaments, and he was approached by some men. This is before the Civil War. Civil War started in 75. He was approached by some men who told him, it's time for you to retire. It's not good for a Jewish guy to constantly be winning, or else, you know, maybe there might be an unfortunate accident that happens to you. And he ended up moving to France before the Civil War. Now, the irony is that in 1976, there was the Montreal Olympics. We had already moved to Montreal, and he ended up representing Lebanon in the Montreal Olympics. So for much of his life, he wasn't good enough to don the Lebanese flag, but apparently for the Montreal Olympics, it was okay to be Jewish for that point. My parents, on one of their return trips to Lebanon, this was in 1980, were kidnapped by Fatah. Some really, this is actually their photo. They're, they're both, thank God, still alive. This is their marriage, their wedding photo from 1950. Uh, you can argue as to whether I look more like my dad or my mom later. Uh, so 
so anyways, that gives you a bit of a sense of what we, we've gone through. Now, this next uh, anecdote is really powerful. In a sense, it's tragically poetic. So let me read you the, a little passage from The Parasitic Mind. Uh, this is from page six. The next memory that I have is perhaps one of the most poignant ones of my life. The flight captain declared that we were out of Lebanese airspace. This is when we had just left and escaped Lebanon. At which point my mother took out a chain with a star of David, or it might have been a chai, a Hebrew symbol for life or living, placed it around my neck and said, now you can wear this, not hide your identity, and be proud of who you are. Now about a month and a half ago, I guess the date is there, October 21st, I posted the following tweet, and, and you'll see why I wrote, the star of David has come full circle. I was just picked up by my wife who had taken our son to a soccer match. When I got into the car, this is what my son said to me. If you were wearing a Magen David, a star of David, you'd, daddy, you'd be dead, in reference to where he had just played the match. This is in Montreal, Canada. So 1975, we leave Lebanon, and my Mother puts a Star of David around my neck. 2023, you better not wear a Star of David in Montreal, Canada. Not Raqqa, Syria, right? Not, not Sana'a, Yemen, Montreal, Canada. And it's coming for you here. Sorry, it keeps skipping. For some of you that may or may not know this, here are some stats about what has happened to Jews in the Middle East. And, and the reason why I say this is because I'm giving you a bit of my personal history, but then I'm, I'd like to at least, if, if I do a good job today, warn you that it's not out of the realm of possibility that this, these are the realities that you will see happening in the West. It may take 50 years, it may take 100 years, but rest assured it will happen. So if you look at the top numbers, these are the, number of, the estimated number of Jews that lived in Morocco, Algeria, Tunisia, Libya, Egypt, Syria, Lebanon, where I hail from, Yemen and, and Iraq, and now you almost have none left. There are a few thousand Jews that still live in Iran, but again, they live as second-class citizens. Sorry, guys. Here is a survey done by the nonpartisan, supposedly nonpartisan Pew survey research in 2010, where they asked people from different countries, what are, what are your views of Jews? Favorable, unfavorable. And if you look at the unfavorable, 95%, 97%, my country, 98%, Palestinian territory, 97%, and so on. So the question that then one must address is if you're allowing entry into the West of people who have endemic Jew hatred at the range of 97 to 100% polled, it doesn't take a fancy mathematical modeler to then say, well, you're probably ensuring that you're going to increase Jew hatred in the West, and that's exactly what you're seeing. So yes, some of the Jew hatred, and I'll get into it, comes from some of the educational dynamics in universities, but the largest contributor to Jew hatred is demographic change. Demography is truly destiny. If you let in people who hate Jews, you're going to get exactly what one should expect. Oh, okay. This is uh, Jew hatred of the United Nations. If any of you don't know this organization, UN Watch, 
they're truly a great group. They, they do exactly that. They watch some of the insanity at the United Nations. This was from a few years ago, but the data is, remains exactly the same. So this was an analysis from 2006 to 2015, just a little snippet of almost 10 years, of the number of UN condemnations to Israel versus the rest of the world. North Korea, Yemen, Syria, China, Sudan, and so on. Israel had 62 condemnations. The rest of humanity had 55. So Israel is truly the land of the evil juice. And of course, you've probably all heard this idiom about you know, the canary in the coal mine. Jew hatred is truly the canary in the coal mine when it comes to how healthy a society is, right? And so, you know, we can sort of go la, 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 I don't want to hear it, but the reality is, and I, I mentioned it yesterday at, at dinner with some lovely folks, uh, there's an expression in, in the Middle East, first we come for the Saturday people, and then we continue with the Sunday people. Well, the Saturday people are the Jews, the Sunday people are the Christians. And again, I hate to preface this, but it, it's part of what you now have to do. I realize that there are millions and millions of lovely Muslims. I, I'm friends with many of them. I have thousands of Muslim fans that write to me from all over the world. That doesn't mean, though, that Islam is compatible with our Western values. And so if you're going to let in people in the millions, buckle up. This is very, very, very frustrating. So what are the three sources of Jew hatred? They could be split up into a taxonomy of three groups. Of course, the academic left. And so many of you that have now sort of familiarized yourself with some of the endemic Jew hatred, you've probably heard about, you know, the stuff that's happening at Harvard or at my alma mater, Cornell or Columbia. And that's because a lot of the teachings that happen in these courses, and I'll have a slide about, about it in a second, a lot of the teaching in these courses uh, in universities uh, are incredibly hostile now they, to the Jews. But they'll say, of course, it's, they're only hostile to the Zionists. But that's code word for Jews. Then, of course, there's the ultra-right folks, the Jews won't replace us gang, who are also very hateful towards the Jews, and, of course, Islam. One of the things that was quite extraordinary after October 7th is that when I would weigh in on the issues on social media, I was getting the tsunami from all corners. You know, historically, you know, I can count on one of these groups coming after me. But here, it was an orgiastic fest of hate that was coming at me from each of these three groups. So I'll, I'll drill down to some of that in a second. This is the reality at my university. This is an article that I wrote in the National Post. Concordia University, where I'm housed, some of you may not uh, be familiar with it, it has been colloquially called for well over 20 years Gaza University. This is well before the current crisis. Uh, Benjamin Netanyahu was not allowed to speak at uh, Concordia University in 2002 when he came to, to speak uh, at Concordia. Uh, the amount of uh, hostility is quite extraordinary. I've had many students come up to me through the years at Concordia and say, you know, I'm, I'm a Jewish student professor and I never wear a kippah or, or a star of David because it's too uh, threatening. And it's only gotten worse. So I've had to go to campus with security. 
in the 21st century in Montreal, Canada, a professor who's been Canadian since 1975 has to be accompanied by security because outside the buildings, it's the global intifada chants and the free, free Palestine and from the river to the sea. The, the photo that you see there is actually called the Hall Building. I've taught there many times. This is the Montreal police. This is not campus police. This is armed Montreal police standing there because of the dynamics of what's happening at Concordia. And again, we can all pretend that it's not coming for you here, but it will eventually come because people simply never feel that they need to get engaged until it personally affects them. So even someone, I, mean, I guess I'll mention his name, it doesn't matter. I'm delighted that Bill Ackman is getting involved in a lot of these fights today. But part of me says, where were you five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, when some of us were standing at the mountaintop alone at great personal and professional risk saying, hey, wake up. But now it's Harvard, it's his alma mater, it's maybe his child, and therefore he comes. So I'm glad that he's taking action, better late than never. But you, you need to think bigger than that. It's, it's going to come for you. There's nothing clearer in life than that. Here is just one of about a gazillion Jew hatred stuff that I see. So this is, on the left, is a copy of my, my actual book. And on the right, you see it's twisted, kind of classic Nazi iconography. And the title has changed, The Sad Truth About the Talmud, Eight Secrets for Enslaving the Goyim, the Non-Jews, best-selling author of the parasitic Jew. I mean, it's straight out of not... And I mean, I get this so often that it's, I, it just, I brush it off my shoulders. But that's where the canary in the coal mine is. When people now feel completely comfortable and emboldened to put stuff up like this, we're in trouble. Of course, some of you have followed what's been happening at some of the prestigious uh, uh, American universities. This is from my own university at Cornell. Patrick Dye is now, was arrested by the FBI for levying all sorts of threats to Jewish students at Cornell. And the student, uh, the professor on the right, was exhilarated and energized by the Hamas attack on October 7th. Now again, what does that say? The fact that someone can get up, a professor at Cornell, while he's being taped and utter those words makes him feel that this is the right environment for me to be saying this. People will support this kind of message. And again, it's only a matter of demography. I'll skip this slide because you probably all know about this. But this next slide is a, is a good one. It shows that different disciplines are more or less likely to be parasitized by Jew hatred. This is only at Columbia University, but it shows you that if you're in, the, in business where you are somewhat wedded to reality, or you're in science or engineering where, again, you... For example, postmodernism, which is a, probably the... Not probably, is definitely the most parasitic of all ideas. Uh, postmodernism purports that there are no objective truths. Everything is, is relative. Well, many of these parasitic ideas haven't made it to the business school or the engineering school because you can't build economic models of consumer choice using postmodernist theory. You can't build bridges using postmodernist physics. And so by the very nature of some of these disciplines, 
they are inoculated against some of the nonsense. But regrettably, in the social sciences and the humanities, look at the rightmost one, this is where you can be parasitized by all kinds of ideological hate and so on. Earlier I said that uh, in academia, the reason why you have a lot of Jew hatred or you know, Zionist hatred is because of how courses are taught in political science and Near East studies. I put this tweet up. Let me read it for you. It sounds as though I'm being sarcastic, but I'm actually being you know, rather literal. Let me provide you with the syllabus of every Near East studies course on Israel at every Western university. Prior to 1948, Jews and Arabs lived in beautiful peace and noble, inclusive Palestine. There was zero Jew hatred in the Middle East. As a matter of fact, Islam reveres the Jews. Then a bunch of bloodthirsty white Zionists from Europe with zero claims to that land created terrorism, you know, the, uh, the King David Hotel, and ethnically cleansed the noble Palestinians who had accepted the Jews and protected them. Over the past 75 years, the Zionists have committed a genocide on people who simply wish to live in peace. The Zionists are modern-day Nazis, indistinguishable from those Nazis who exterminated the Jews, albeit the Jews have greatly exaggerated the number of Jews killed. So there I've just, you don't need to get a political science degree, I've just summarized it for you in that tweet. So is it then any surprise that even uh, your average, you know, innocent student who goes to these universities will come out with a very distorted view of the dynamics of the Middle East. So look at the picture on the right. By the way, people are cognitive misers, which is a fancy way of saying they don't want to do a lot of thinking. And that's why images are very powerful. So look at the image on the right. You've got Ferris Odeh, who's a very sweet, gentle, innocent Palestinian with only a slingshot and a rock, right? And he's fighting the really, really evil Zionist tank. That one image, if I don't know anything else, I too would be moved. My God, look at the might of the Jews and look at this poor kid who's now going to face his demise. But of course, decent, honest people who have intellectual honesty can try to scratch beyond these kinds of uh, memes. This is a slide that I put up uh, shortly after, let me see, when was it? Uh, it was November 2nd, so almost a month after the October 7th. Israel is bombing Gaza today because, one, Jews are inherently genocidal. Two, Hamas slaughtered and raped. Well, the 1,400 now has been reduced to, I think, 1,200. So fourteen or 1,200 Israelis on October 7th. 163,119 people took this you know, Twitter poll and... 55% concluded that it's that the Jews are genocidal. That, that's quite an arresting uh, tweet. Uh, let me skip this one. Now, I want to talk, I mean, uh, Mary was very kind to, when she was introducing me, talk about the parasitic mind. So in the parasitic mind, I argue that in the same way that a wide range of animals can be parasitized by actual brain worms, Human being, so here's some examples of these. So if you look, for example, the spider wasp stings a much larger spider, then takes it zombified into its burrow. While the spider is in vivo, it lays eggs on it, and then the offspring eat it alive. And political correctness, I argue, is akin to the spider wasp stings. And the next one is Toxoplasma gandhi, 
when a mouse is infected uh, with that particular brain parasite, uh, it loses its innate fear of mice and it becomes sexually attracted to the uh, cat's urine, which is not really a good mating preference to hold if you're a mouse. Uh, and there are many, many other such examples. And so what I do in the book is I argue that human beings can be parasitized by ideological parasites, by idea pathogens. And so I trace where these ideological parasites come from and then how we can inoculate ourselves with a mind vaccine. So let me give you a... So let, before we get to the bottom uh, photos, let me just give you one more example from the animal kingdom. This is a wood cricket which abhors water, but when it is parasitized by the hairworm that you see on the right, the hairworm needs the cricket to jump into uh, the water in order for it to complete its reproductive cycle. So it's al it alters its neuronal circuitry so that the parasitized uh, cricket merrily jumps into the water to its demise, uh, but to the benefit of the parasite. Well, Anna Epstein, Jewish Anna Epstein, is exactly a phenomenon like the, the one that I just mentioned above. Does anybody know who Anna Epstein is? No? Anna Epstein, I think she's from Boston College or Boston University. Oh, Daniel is moving his head. Uh, she was caught on tape, you know, ripping down all the photos of the uh, children that were uh, kidnapped. She's, she's Jewish, right? Or you've got queers for Pal Palestine, right? So if, if, if the way you present yourself to the world is through your queer identity, and you have two choices. You can support Tel Aviv, which is one of the most queer-friendly places in the world, short of San Francisco, Montreal, New York. Tel Aviv is right up there. Or you can go to a place where they have a 100% successful conversion therapy. It's a gravity-based con uh, conversion therapy. Oh, let me sign up for Queers for Palestine. That's what a parasitized mind looks like. or as I like to call it, uh, chickens for KFC is not my meme, but geese, uh, I'm French speaking, so I, I went into my, so geese for foie gras. And so that's exactly what you get when you're parasitized. Let's move on, what's happening? This next one, I mentioned it yesterday at dinner, so apologies to the ones who've heard it. Uh, I'm going to read the whole thing because it is truly unbelievable in the truest sense of the term. So let's read it together. Several years ago, Tal Nitzan, then a Jewish Tal Nitzan, then a doctoral student at Hebrew University, authored an award-winning paper, uh, where am I? That examined the incidence of rape as perpetrated by the IDF forces on Palestinian women. So she was keen on demonstrating that there is you know, rampant endemic rape of Palestinian women. Undoubtedly, well, I guess I say that right after. Undoubtedly, the goal was to uncover an epidemic of rape to demonstrate how diabolical those evil Jews are, truly were. When no such empirical reality was found, not, not one, there wasn't one documented case, it was concluded, now you're all sitting down, so the next part you might need to sit down doesn't apply for you, that this was proof of the extent to which the Israelis dehumanized the Palestinians. They were so hateful that they did not even consider the Palestinian women worthy of rapes. 
This is from the parasitic mind. So if rapes are uncovered or if none are discovered, the same conclusion is reached. The Israelis are diabolical. All roads lead to self-flagellation and self-loathing. It's the hallmark of a true progressive. Now again, this is a doctoral student who's at Hebrew University who's Jewish, and that's how parasitized she is. So the, the, the fight is a very difficult one. I've been trying to have it for 30 years. Maybe I've had a bit of success, but we all have to get involved. I won't go through all these examples, but the, the gentleman on the left, his name is Karsten Nordal Hawken, who describes himself as a feminist, anti-racist ally. He was, forgive me for saying this, we're all adults, he was sodomized, he was raped by a Somali noble immigrant. When that Somali immigrant served a very, very light sentence, and then he was going to be deported, the victim here was very, very hurt. He is so empathetic, he is so noble, he's so virtuous that he was hurt that this noble immigrant was going to be deported to Somalia where he would lead a very difficult life. So when your most basic survival instinct, when your emotional system that has evolved for, to solve important evolutionary problems completely misfires so that you now, you know, you feel great hurt for your sodomizer, that's not good. Uh, this is, uh, this is, actually, I just posted this pretty recently on Twitter because I, we were talking about, you know, Jewish values. You know, my mother, after I finished, I, I, did an MBA, I did an undergrad in mathematics and computer science, and then I did an MBA. And then I was going on straight for my PhD, but one of my brothers was very interested in convincing me to work with him for a few years before I went on to, to pursue my PhD. And when my mother found this out, she took me to a side room in, in great panic and said, I hear that you're thinking of taking a break from your studies. I said, well, not, not really, no. She goes, well, you know that if you were to leave now, you're going to, great, you're going to bring great shame to the family because everybody's going to know you as a school dropout. So stop for a second and think about the level of excellence, right? If I have a bachelor's degree in mathematics and an MBA, both of which are from a top university, and I leave school, I am a dropout. It's going to bring great shame. Well, is it any surprise then that nearly 25% of Nobel Prizes are give, granted to Jews? Because it is, it is woven into the fabric of who we are to care about learning, to care about uh, education, and so on and so forth. On the other hand, this is how many Nobel Prizes Islam has given us. Four. So it's a 125 to 1 ratio in terms of population, but this is the difference. When I put this up, by the way, you should see the hate I received. It's just, it's a fact, but I was spreading Islamophobia. One more example of parasitic, and I'll try to then bring it all together, maybe one or two more. So in Britain, throughout Britain, there are these grooming gangs grooming rape gangs throughout Britain in many, many big cities, small cities. And the perpetrators are Southeast Asians, which is a euphemism uh, for Muslims. In France, as I mentioned at yesterday's dinner, uh, you don't say Muslim gangs, you say les jeunes. Les jeunes means the youths. 
Exactly. In other words, you never should say, what is the exact demographic group that's doing this, because that would be hateful and that would marginalize them. So in this case, this is from one, one small town called Huddersfield. And I won't read you all the names, but I'm going to read you some of the names. Okay, you ready? Muhammad Kamer, Muhammad Rizwan Aslam, Nahman Muhammad, Wikas Mahmoud, Muhammad Irfraz, Muhammad Azim, Muhammad Akram, and Muhammad Imran Ibrar. Now, I posted this up on Twitter, and I sarcastically said, I don't think I've got the brain power to be able to identify what might be some common themes running through those guys. Can, can anybody help me? Well, guess what? Many people wrote back and gave me an answer. And it's not the answer that you thought you might think it is. You know who's to blame for those gang rapes? Jews. Yes, of course it's the Jews. Can anybody guess why it is the Jews? Anybody want to take a shot? No? It's because it's the Jews that have promulgated the open society mechanisms and the open immigration policies. So even when three Muhammads gang rape you, it's Mordechai that's to blame. That's incredible. That, that, that truly defies human dignity. And this is from someone who grew up in the Middle East. Here's another one. This is actually covered quite extensively in the parasitic mind. On the right, you see 44,609 terrorist attacks in more than 70 countries since 9-11 alone in the name of one religion. I posted it on Twitter. Who do you think 10% said that, that those stats were of the Jews? There are 10% of people who think that 44,000 attacks around the world since 9-11 were committed by Jews. But now let's just... Go. So here are the list of the countries where it happened. Here's what Western professors and the members of intelligentsia told us. It's got nothing, zero, to do with Islam. Let me give you some of the reasons. It's because of lone wolfism. It's a man-made disaster. It's because of violent video games. It's because of lack of adequate exposure to art. Who amongst us didn't decide because they weren't exposed to enough Picasso that they were going to join ISIS to throw the gays off the rooftops? It's a straight, direct causal effect from not viewing enough Chagall to then becoming an ISIS member. It's due to beard bullying. It's due to climate change. Bill Nye, the science guy, explained to us that the Bataclan attack in Paris was very much related to climate change. So when the guys quote the Quran and tell you exactly why they're doing it, that's not true. It's because of solar panels, right? So that's what happens when your mind is parasitized. So that's why when you send your kids to Oberlin and Wellesley, and regrettably, since it's my alma mater to Cornell, you end up saying that it's due to climate change. The battle is going to be a long one, folks. All right. Now, the only reason I put this one up is because why would you be surprised that people can't tell you that it's Islam that's the cause of those attacks when it turns out that until 15 minutes ago, there had been 117 billion people who've ever lived on earth, each one of whom knew exactly what a male or female was. But 15 minutes ago, it became very, very difficult to know this. This is why 
our most, well, I shouldn't say our, I'm Canadian, but your most recent Supreme Court justice did not have the epistemological confidence to proclaim what exactly is a woman. So that's why I think the parasitic mind resonated so well with people, because I offer a framework to explain how we can astray so far from reason and logic. I'm almost done. I'll skip this one, but let me just, last two slides. This is actually a tweet that I posted about two months ago that got quite a bit of, I think it got maybe 11 or 12 million views because people were shocked at how solemn I sounded in it. So let me read it, but then end on hopefully a bit more of an optimistic uh, note. And, and the, I, I wrote the happy warrior because many people refer to me as the happy warrior because even when I'm dealing with these issues, I typically have a, a smile on my face and I joke around and I'm sarcastic. So you are not going to like this tweet, so turn away if you are likely to be triggered. I'm a very optimistic person. I'm a fighter for Western values and liberties. I'm a dogged defender of science, reason, and common sense. I must say, though, that I'm unsure that the West can recover from its multi-front civilizational suicide. Yes, I've talked about these issues for decades and wrote a book about it, but the past few weeks, this is since October 7th, have crystallized the extent to which the problem has become intractable. It will be a long and ultimately bloody demise, and the West will be the first society in recorded history to fully self-implode due to its parasitic ideological rapture. It is a gargantuan Greek tragedy that will shape the future of humanity. This is not hyperbole. Your grandchildren will pay a very high price for your progressive arrogance rooted in the pursuit of unicornia that only exists in the recesses of deeply flawed, parasitized minds. But let me end it on a slightly less negative note. If, if you go to see your physician, you'd like for him or her to at least offer you some possible cure, because otherwise we might as well not get out of bed. And so in another now viral tweet, I said, here are some steps that we can take to save the West. In order for the West to win the civilizational battle, it must, one, proudly and unequivocally defend Western values, two, reject cultural relativism and the unicornia vision of multiculturalism, three, recommit to individual dignity over the celebration of collective identity politics. Identity politics is what you get in Lebanon because everything is viewed through the prism of which group you belong to. Identity politics is what you get with Claudine Gay, where she has the academic record of my socks, and yet she becomes president of Harvard. I literally have doctoral students who are substantially more uh, accomplished than her. At least, they're no longer doctoral students, but who were well on their way to being more accomplished than her. She's the president of Harvard, but you know, she's a black woman, so you know, that trumps everything else. Number four, recognize that all cultures are not equal. That is a huge parasitic idea. Because again, it comes from a noble reflex. You know, who are we to judge others? Well, cultures that don't cut off the clitorises of five-year-old girls are superior to cultures that do. And say that proudly. There's nothing wrong in saying that. And again, it's, uh, it's, it's a bit sad that it takes often immigrants such as myself who have sampled the buffet of other societies to tell Westerners don't take what you have for granted. That's not, the West is an anomaly in recorded history. Number five, recognize that all religious beliefs are not equally consistent with Western values. Number six, recognize that all immigrants are not equally likely to assimilate and adopt Western values. 
Number seven, recognize that immigrants who espouse intolerable values that seek to destroy our civilizations will be deported en masse. Number eight, implement a rational immigration policy that recognizes the importance of cultural homophily. Homophily means uh, similarity, similar. So choosing immigrants who hail from cultures that possess similar values to those of the host nations. And number nine, exhibit zero tolerance for seditious belief systems. Such systems can be criminalized if they constitute an existential threat to our freedoms and liberties. Thank you very much. Well, thank you, thank you very much, Doctor. I, I don't know if we have and a lot I'm, of times for oh, questions, but we, maybe we have Please. time for maybe one, one or two. Okay, sure. I only have, really. Have about ten minutes. Oh, great. They've, yeah. we've, we've got the... I tried to keep it to 35. It's That's wonderful. Okay. No, it's wonderful. We could listen to you speak all day. Um, I only have a single question for you because I, I'd like to get as many audience questions in as possible. Is there any form of Islam, maybe Sufi Islam from Southeast Asia, that's tolerant that could be promoted? Uh, I mean, yes, but it's not true Islam, right? So, for example, uh, Mordechai might eat prosciutto but that's not because he practices a more gentle Judaism. It's because he's eating prosciutto despite the fact that kosher laws don't allow him to eat it, right? So yes, Sufism is more gentle, but central doctrines of Islam could not be any more incompatible with Western values. Now again, many Muslims are lovely people despite of Islam, right? So it's not, right, they are nice Muslims, mean Muslims, they're nice Jews, mean Jews. So of course, the, there's a panoply of a normal distribution. But Islam itself, you just have to go read it. I mean, read the Quran, read the biography of Muhammad the Sira, read the hadith, the sayings and, and deeds of uh, Muhammad, and come to your conclusion. One of the reasons, by the way, why it, it's very, and I mentioned this yes, at yesterday's dinner, why it's difficult for a lot of these Islamic apologists to take me on is because they can't delegitimize me in the way they might John Smith from Iowa because he's just an American, he doesn't understand, he doesn't speak Arabic, he's not from the Middle East. Well, all of those mechanisms to delegitimize de him don't apply to me. And so you can all do your homework and come to your own conclusions. Lots of questions from the audience. Shoot. Um, do you believe anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism are connected? I mean, it's, it's become banal now to say that it's perfectly reasonable to, of course, criticize Israel like any other nation. They do good things, they do bad things. But many of the folks that couch it under, no, 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 I love the Jews, but I hate uh, Zionism, are truly just pure, regular Jew haters. Uh, so does that answer the question or, or, or not quite? I think so. Yeah. I think so. Um, maybe I'll use the moderator privilege and ask another uh, question. Um, in part of the list of how to save the West, um, you say we should bring in people who share our values. How confident are you? that our societies today in the quote-unquote West, but that could include Australia and other places, um, have the ability to inculcate that pride and basic human freedoms and tolerance that we all, I believe, grew up with. Can we still do that? I'm not very confident. I, I, I really, I, I, by nature, by disposition, I'm an optimistic person, but, and that's why I put that very solemn tweet, is because, you know, it's, it's unimaginable to me to see how, how completely unaware most people are of these realities, right? Uh, just to kind of go on a side note, 
Justin Trudeau has been our prime minister for eight years. Sorry. Right, exactly. <laughs> I, I, I was warning about him well before he became prime minister. And then now many people write to me and say, ah, I should have listened to you. And the reasons they give why they originally voted for him are exactly the banal reasons that you would expect. He legalized marijuana. I, I like to smoke up. You know, he's tall. He has beautiful hair. A lot of, the, a lot of my female colleagues would post things on uh, my personal Facebook page. If a male colleague had posted this of female politicians, it would have been a hashtag Me Too moment. But he was so dreamy. He was so sexy. He was so young. He's so lovely. He's so tall. Uh, and so, you know, people are cognitive misers. They don't take the, the time to learn about a topic. So just get engaged. I mean, of course, I don't need to preach this to the people here because by definition, if you're they here, are they are engaged. But you're a very small minority in a sea of ignorance. Mm. There are a lot of questions uh, in the audience about the source of the Jew hatred, particularly in academia. Yeah. And wh where does it spring from? And was it always there? Or is this something new that we're just realizing today? So it depends. If it's the, the first one that I put academic left, that really is typically related to the Middle East dynamics, right? But the Islamic Jew hatred is really doctrinal. It's, it's, it's right there in the doctrines, right? There's actually a gentleman, his name is uh, uh, Bill Turner, I, think, I can't remember his name. He's a physicist by training who then set up a, later in his, as a second career, uh, set up Bill Warner, sorry, that's oh. his name. He set up a center called the Center for the Study of Political Islam. And so he did a content analysis of the amount of Jew hatred in the Islamic holy books in comparison to Mein Kampf, there was more in the Islamic text. So the source of Jew hatred varies depending on the strain, but it's always the same. It's a diabolical hatred that really defines you, defies human dignity. So there's another question that just came in, and I'd like to, to read it word for word because I think it asks a question that predates that answer that you just gave. Quote, I'm Jewish. I've never wanted to kill or eradicate another race or religion. I've never understood why Jews have been persecuted throughout history. Why do you believe Jews have historically been vilified? So it's a, it's a complicated answer. I'll give a, a few. There are, it's a multifactorial mechanism. So in, in psychology, there's a thing called locus of control. So locus of control, internal locus of control would be, I attribute things that happen to me internally. Uh, External locus of control would be I attribute things that happen to me externally. Most people do the following. They attribute successes internally and failures externally, right? So I did very well on the exam because I'm a smart guy. I did very poorly on the exam because Professor Saad is an asshole, okay? Mm -hmm. Now, what the Jews allow people to do is use them as an existential locus of control explanation for their failures, right? So if I'm not doing well, there must be Jews behind the scene that are pulling the strings. Yesterday we were joking at dinner about some of these unbelievable conspiracy stories. So there was an attack about 10, 12, 15 years ago in Sharm el-Sheikh in, in Egypt, mm. where, uh, attack on tourists by sharks that caused a lot of damage to the local economy, the tourism economy in Egypt. What did the Egyptian government come out with as the final cause of why that had transpired. Anybody? The Jews. Yes, because they train, that was, they have a program where they train sharks, Zionist sharks, to attack people. 
Now, you can go, and I mentioned this yesterday at dinner, you can go to a website that lists all of the conspiracy theories relating to animal attacks that are Jewish-based. You know, pigeons, rats, uh, dolphins, vultures, sharks, all are Jewish plots. So it really, it's, it's a hatred that is not unlike anything else. And I don't mean to minimize, I mean, there are, there's a lot of hate to go around, but there is something in Jew hatred that removes your humanity. It's truly grotesque. So this is the summit on foreign policy and global security. Um, we've talked about really the rot um, in our culture, in our society that has given rise um, to this anti-Semitism, Jew hatred. Um, relate this to our broader theme. Um, how does this impact uh, our national security or where, what we do in the world? Demography is destiny. Demography is destiny. Demography is destiny. So in other words, uh, if you continue with the immigration policy, look at France, look at Malmo, Sweden, look at in areas in England. Uh, it's happening in the Netherlands, although now the, the guy who's coming in is not very friendly to Islam. But look how long it took before someone like with his language arose to power. So uh, in terms of global security, Again, I, I, and I'm not Islamophobic, and as I said, I have more Muslim friends than most people will ever meet. Islam cannot become too prevalent in a society because it's only then a matter of time before, inshallah, it takes over. The United States was founded in an idea that we're all endowed with unalienable rights from God. We were the first country that was founded on this idea. Therefore, we are distinctly different from France. We're different from Canada. We're different from Britain. And our strength comes from accepting people from all over the world if they subscribe exactly. to our ideals. So how do you square um, the foundation of our country, the things that made us strong in our, our welcoming nature, the Statue of Liberty and our harbor in New York Harbor with these threats and dangers that you've just outlined? I wish there were a machine where you could put someone's heart through it to truly know whether they're willing to leave their ugly values at the door and come in. Uh, there is no such machine. So, but what we could certainly do is not be as tolerant to some of the hatred that then couches itself under, well, that's my religious liberty, right? So I can show you clips of imams in Montreal that preach every Friday at the mosque that is extraordinary. Now, that's allowed under the right. premise of, but, you know, he's an imam, this is religious expression, blah, blah, blah. Well, no, but we also know that in the First Amendment, you don't have a direct incitement to violence. Right. Well, when you stand up all day, God curse the Jews, may God get rid of the Jews right. as part of your religion, maybe we don't need to tolerate that. Right. Well, I think it's extraordinary that the Steamboat Institute tackles these questions, and it's been extraordinary to have you on the stage and Thank you so sharing much. your points of view. Please join me in thanking the doctor for his comments.